God has led them supernaturally over hundreds of miles. And here at the very end, they're like, okay, we, we got the rest of this, God. And isn't that so much like humans? Isn't that so much like mankind? That as soon as we get an inkling that, okay, I see where God's going with this. I see what you're doing, God. I'll take it from here. These scholars, these wise men come, verse 2 saying, and what, are they, what they're saying is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, as they come here asking this question, in our minds we have this picture that comes from the greeting cards, and the picture is what? Three very oddly dressed men riding camels alone through the desert, making their way through the desert. They seem a little bit out of place in the desert because there's these, these three sort of lovable, scholarly kind of guys. Like you'd imagine three professors that just set out on camels across the desert because they're following the star. Dispel that image because that's not at all how they came to Jerusalem. They would have come, first of all, not on camels, but they would have come on the finest Arabian horses. And they wouldn't, there wouldn't have just been three of them. There would have been a very large entourage. There would have been soldiers guarding them. There would have been slaves and servants serving them. There would have been cooks preparing their meals. It is very likely that there was a thousand or more people in this large entourage of people making their way to Jerusalem. So now begin putting in your mind the picture of an entourage of a thousand Eastern people with the tall cone conical hats and the bright colors and the jewelry and everything. Imagine an entourage of a thousand or more Eastern people with their slaves, with their soldiers, with their cooks, with all the baggage that comes along with this big entourage of people showing up on their, their fine Arabian horses in Jerusalem. That's the picture that we have in mind. So they come here and their question is, where is he who has been born King, where has there ever been someone else in history who was born king? I could think of no one. In fact, I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think there's ever been anyone in all of the history of humanity that was born king. Oh, there's been plenty of people that were born to be king. And there's been plenty of people that were born prince. But I know of no one in all of human history that as they passed through the birth canal, they were the ruler. But their question is not where is he who is going to be king? Not where's the future king? Where is he who has been born king? And notice, king of the Jews. What's the title that Herod loves more than anything else? King of the Jews. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews. Now, one of the things to make note of here is this entourage of Magi, after being led supernaturally by the star through a journey of anywhere from 500 to 800 miles, being led in this supernatural way, isn't it interesting that right here at the end of their journey, they resort to human reasoning? Right here at the end of all of it, they come up here to Jerusalem, they're looking for a king. What's the natural question to ask? We're looking for a king, so where, where's the king going to be? He's going to be in a palace. I mean, that's where kings are. 
So let's go to Jerusalem. That's the capital of this area. And let's go to the palace because that's where the king's going to be. God has led them supernaturally over hundreds of miles. And here at the very end, they're like, okay, we, we got the rest of this, God. And isn't that so much like humans? Isn't that so much like mankind? That as soon as we get an inkling that, okay, I see where God's going with this. I see what you're doing, God. I'll take it from here. Well, actually, we find out that's not at all where God was bringing them to because they come here with this question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And the impact of that question, we'll see that that impact plays itself out really in the next story as thousands of baby Jewish boys have to die as a result of that. But as they come here with this question, remember again, this entourage, all the pomp, all the circumstance, all the highfalutinness of this group that shows up here from the east, wearing strange clothing, speaking strange languages with strange accents, and they show up and their question is, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Now, in order to really understand the impact of this moment, because this moment here, if let me put it this way, if it weren't for the birth of Christ itself, this would be the most pivotal event in history during these people's lifetime. If it wasn't for the actual birth of Christ, this is a monumental event in human history. As these people come, this is a pivotal moment. And let's just understand a couple things in order for us to see why this is such a pivotal moment. So these magi, as I said, they were highly influential people. They were a hereditary priest line and they existed prior to the Babylonian kingdom. They existed in the Babylonian kingdom and they now exist in the present kingdom in Mesopotamia, which is the Persian kingdom. And throughout all of that, they had established themselves as the king makers. They were the ones who had firmly established themselves as we are the ones who decides who's king. We are the ones who have the code, the law of the Medes and Persians. It's our code. We wrote it. We keep it. And all who would be king must, first of all, abide by their code and furthermore, be chosen by them to be king and then be chosen when not to be king. So the Magi were the ones who put the king on the throne and they were the ones who took the king off the throne. Are you starting to see the significance of these men coming? The kingmakers coming to say, where is this king? Because we saw his star. So the significance of the kingmakers from the east coming is it holds tremendous, tremendous significance. Now, let's couple that together with the fact that these magi have been influenced by Daniel. So we remember the story of Daniel about six centuries prior to this, as Daniel and his friends are taken there to Babylon. At the time, that was the Babylonian kingdom. Daniel was there in Babylon as it transitioned over to the Persian kingdom. But nonetheless, his prophecies that he spoke, remember there was the dreams that he interpreted, which meant the Magi were big on dream interpretation. Remember that from the story of Daniel, how Daniel was put into training to be a Magi and how the dream interpretation was the center of so many of those stories. And so you remember the dream, first of all, the, the first dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And you remember that dream, how he calls all the Magi and says, I need to know the interpretation of this dream. And, he's, and the, the Magi say, well, okay, great. Just tell us the dream. We'll be happy to tell you the interpretation. Uh-uh. It's not going to work that way. You tell me the dream and its interpretation. And they say, no magi can do that. 
So Daniel was part of that group and he was being trained as part of that group. And you remember how he was the one whom God revealed the dream to him and the interpretation. And you remember the dream? The dream was all about the world kingdoms, the future of the world kingdoms. It was the form, in the form of this statue where there was the clay feet and, and the, the bronze legs and the silver trunk and the golden head. And then the stone that was not cut by human hands crushed the statue into a million pieces. And then that stone grew to be the worldwide kingdom. And you remember the messianic force of that interpretation, the messianic force of that dream. So Daniel's prophecies were highly messianic. Daniel's prophecies were prophecies that were teaching of the coming stone that was not cut by human hands that would crush all earthly kingdoms. And so into the theology of the Magi, which is a pagan theology, but into their theology comes these interpretations, these truths about the coming Messiah, the coming King. And so that's part of their theology now. And they come here as these kingmakers, the ones who have enjoyed for hundreds and hundreds of years sole authority and all the land of Mesopotamia over who would rule and who would not rule. Now, let me ask you, who is more powerful, do you think? The king or the one who decides who's king? Who, hold, who holds the real power? The one who decides when the king is done being king or the king himself? I would suggest they hold the real true power in all of Mesopotamia. These are a powerful group of people that are now coming. And so now imagine this group, this entourage coming here into Israel. And as they come here into Jerusalem, we, we are reminded of just what the circumstance must have looked like, what a big happening this was. This was no secret. They didn't just sneak into Jerusalem in the middle of the night and sneak out. The whole city knew that they were there, which is why we're told later that the whole city was agitated. Okay, So here comes this big entourage from the east. Now, what we need to understand about what was going on in the world at this time is this. The Roman Empire has control over Israel. We all know that at this point. Israel is under the rule of Rome. But as we think about the Roman Empire, sometimes we can falsely think of the Roman Empire as this monolithic sort of empire that always ruled over the known civilized world. And that's just not what the Roman Empire was. The Roman Empire eventually grew to that, but this is prior to the time that the Roman Empire had conquered all of the civilized world. This was a time in which the Roman Empire had a rival empire, a rival world power that was right beside them, and the rival empire was Persia. So this was a time in which Rome and Persia were more or less about the same size and about the same power. Now, Persia is on the decline and Rome is on the incline. Rome is going up. Rome is becoming more powerful. Persia is becoming less powerful. But at this time, they're both world powers. And in fact, they had warred with each other three times prior to this. Persia and Rome had battled one another in three pre previous wars and all three of those ended up with neither one really being the victor. And so they were sort of like a stalemate. Persia and Rome, neither one could really defeat the other at this point. Now, the king of Persia, who was a man by the name of Freitas IV, their sources, the sources that I found weren't quite in agreement. Some said that Freitas IV was still on the throne. Others said that by this point, Freitas IV had been deposed of the throne. But either way, it's the same point. There's a man by the name of Freitas IV who was the ruler of Persia. But 
the Magi didn't like him. And the reason they didn't like him was because he was the one who had gone to Rome or gone to battle with Rome three times before and hadn't won. And Freitas IV had come to the conclusion, let's just leave Rome alone. Let's just not even, let's, let's coexist with Rome because I don't think we can beat them. Let's just stick to our own thing over here. Well, the Magi didn't like that because the Magi wanted to defeat Rome. So the Magi were upset with Freitas IV, and they've either already taken him off the throne or they're about to. Now, here they come into town. Now, the other thing to know about this region, Jerusalem here, is if we were to look at a map of the Roman Empire at this time and a map of the Persian Empire at this time, and we were to ask ourselves the question, what if these two empires went to battle? Where would they battle? It would be obvious. Israel. That was the connecting point between the two empires, was Israel. In fact, Jerusalem was the connecting point between the two empires. Now, Israel is firmly under Rome's control, and Herod has the power that he has because Rome has given it to him. But also keep in mind that the average Israelite citizen was none too happy with Rome. That's not to say that Persia would have been a better ruler, but they weren't too happy with being Roman citizens, Roman subjects. Now comes this grand entourage of people from the East, and not just people, magi, kingmakers from the East, from the rival empire to the one who rules us. And now they show up Several hundred, maybe a thousand or more of them show up in Jerusalem and they're asking, where's the king? You think that got people talking? Now, the other thing to know about what's going on in the world right now is that there was this for a century or more, there was this, call it a rumor or a feeling or an idea, call it what you like. There was a growing consensus that people were believing that the next world ruler was going to come from Judea. Now, lest you think I'm making that up, take a look in your notes. In your notes, I have a couple of quotations here from Roman historians. The first is Suetonius. Here's what Suetonius wrote. There had spread all over the Orient or the East an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Or take a look at the words of Tacitus. Tacitus, if you're not familiar with Tacitus, Tacitus was like the Roman counterpart to Josephus. He was the leading Roman historian. He writes, there was a firm persuasion at this time, at this very time, the East was to become powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. So there was just this scuttlebutt, this feeling, this talk that was growing and growing and growing among people. There's these two world empires that have collided in the past and neither one has really come on top of the other. But there's this growing sense that the East is going to rule, they're going to grow stronger, but they're going to do so under the world leadership of a leader that doesn't come from the East, but comes from Judea. 
Now, the kingmakers show up in Judea. The kingmakers who are either just about to depose the king of Persia or just recently have deposed the king of Persia. And they're asking the question, where's the king of the Jews? Meanwhile, the king of the Jews is on his deathbed. Do you see the volatile mixture of what just came into Jerusalem? Do you see how this is far more fascinating and far more powerful of a story than the greeting card version? Where these three little scholars show up in the middle of the night? This was a world event. All of Judea was talking about the Persians who came looking for the new world ruler. And who did the Persians find? A child. One born under a star. One who was born as king. Far more powerful than the narrative that kings came and bowed down before the Christ is the true narrative that the king makers came and bowed down before the Christ and recognized you are the king. <laughs> 